0: This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two,
1: and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Bill Arnett, an improv officiant, ready to dig into philosophy. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer, a philosophy
0: aficionado, who is interested in improv. And our special guest today, introduce yourself.
2: Hi, I'm Carneades, the creator of the Carneades.org YouTube channel, and I'm really excited to be here. Well, we
0: are excited to have you. You are someone who is promoting a book. Are all lives equal? 420 pages. I, I didn't get through the whole thing. I barely scratched it, but that's okay. The audience is not either.
2: There's pictures and graphics in there too. So if you if you read the first chapter and then want to skim through or jump to other chapters, it's hopefully accessible.
1: And I'm certain it ends with either a two-letter or three-letter word. Is that correct? Clearly, No stars or asterisks or... Uh,
0: And we should say why you are anonymous on your YouTube channel is that your day job involves interacting with real people. And this book is about real things, about economics. Do you want to elaborate on that? Or is even the meta description is...
2: I can speak a little bit to it. So I um, I work in international development. I've worked for the World Bank. I've worked for the Gates Foundation. Um, I've worked for a number of US government development agencies. And that work takes me abroad to places where uh, certain viewpoints are illegal or punishable. So I try to disconnect the philosophy work that I do so I can have as much freedom as I want there from my real world personality. But this book uh, tries to bring together a little bit of those studies. It looks at the philosophy of economics. It looks at some of these questions around how economists value lives and how uh, philosophers might be a little concerned by some of the techniques they use.
1: I was able to listen to a few interviews and things online, and I'm ready to have this conversation. Well, it seems obvious the bifurcation, you know, are all
0: lives equal? Any ethicist will tell you probably, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you could add so much, be such a villain, you know, there might be exceptions, but as long as you're post 19th century, post 1960, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, it seems pretty uncontroversial, but yet it also seems like a reasonable modern take on ethics to say that ethics is not some transcendent God's law. Everybody's equal because they have a metaphysical soul or something, but because of what people actually value. And economics is supposed to measure what people actually value. And so explain why an economist would say, of course lives are not equal based on their people's stated
2: preferences. Economists are trying to do this process. They're trying to basically take consequentialism and utilitarianism and operationalize it. They're trying to add up all of the good things that a policy can do and all the bad things that a policy can do and boil it down to a single number. And one of the good things a policy can do is save lives. And so the economists are trying to quantify saving a life as this is something a policy does, whether that's putting out a vaccine, investing in a hospital, what have you. They want to quantify that down to compare, should we put a hospital in this neighborhood or that neighborhood? Do different people have different preferences when it comes to their own kind of mortality risk, their willingness to risk their lives? And economists have created this process that has some virtues in the sense that they want to help policymakers make data-driven and not bias-driven decisions, but it has some challenges because it ends up valuing the lives of the wealthy more than the lives of the poor. In fact, when you look across different countries internationally, this is hundreds and hundreds of times more that lives of the wealthy are valued than lives of the poor. And so that is certainly something that philosophers have an issue with. But a lot of the philosophical literature that's out there right now basically throws the baby out with the bathwater, says, burn the economics department to the ground. They're all useless there. They're morally corrupt. Get rid of them. We can't be valuing lives at all. And where I try to go with the book is somewhere in between of saying that there are some things that economists are doing here that are useful, that are philosophically interesting. But there are some challenges and some real points where philosophy can put pressure on them and say, maybe we should think about this differently. Maybe we should change it. Maybe we should have a system that doesn't include wealth or income or money in the way that we're valuing saving life. The
1: thing that came to my mind hearing some of your interviews and hearing you talk just now is this idea of, I guess it depends on who's looking and for what purpose do we measure Mm -hmm. life being equal? I mean, if you're an alien... Looking down on the planet. <laughs> it's, all, it's all equal and all meaningless. We will dominate everyone. Uh, <laughs> they will all be working in our salt mines. Can we speak to that a little bit? Or I don't know, Mark, do you, I mean, about where to put a hospital. It's like, well, we can only put one hospital in. How do we decide how, where that hospital goes? I guess I don't see the relativism thing as a great
0: problem here. If we're talking about basing ethics on people's actual values, because from a public policy perspective, we hypothesize a group will, a group interest. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, of course, where this comes into danger is thinking about immigrants, thinking about people, you know, that America first is to say that everybody counts as one here for our (laughs) decision-making purposes, and therefore lives, you know, who are not, voters or dependents of voters are worth nothing or you know like we care about animal welfare like you know we can care about it a little but they're not voters it's just interests that people have the fact that some of us here care about immigrants refugees etc that's why we would want to give any credence to it any weight to it in our public policy but intrinsically since they are not members of the community here they don't get anything.
2: It is really interesting because there's a a bunch of economists that say, oh, the United States government should, even within the United States, disaggregate the value of life, that old people should be worth less, they have fewer years to live, young people should be worth more, all of these things. And the EPA even put out a cleverly branded senior discount where they (laughs) discounted the lives of people that were older because they have fewer years to live, so saving their life doesn't matter as much as saving the lives of someone younger. And there was huge public pushback against that. The U.S. government has been unable to actually have different amounts for lives within the country, but because there's not that same public pressure around the world and globally and internationally, they do put out different values of statistical lives and use different values of statistical lives for around the world. So there is some domestic pressure to keep just an average at home, but abroad, it's anything goes.
0: So elaborate a little on this connection between the value of a life and risking a life, actually Mm -hmm. putting risk on it. Because if I say, well, you know, I'm not going to bother to wear a seatbelt. It's not because I value my life less than the effort to every time I get in a car, put on a (laughs) seatbelt and not be able to reach stuff on the other side of the car and all the terrible things, all the the sacrifices I make. It's, I just don't think (laughs) I'm going to crash. So, you know, I value my life plenty. Am I just being irrational and short-sighted there? Obviously, but how do you actually talk about risk in terms of value of lives?
2: That's a great question. And this this is one of the distinctions the economists try to to make and pull out very clearly is that they're not trying to say, how much would you pay if someone came to your door with a gun and said, I'm gonna shoot you unless you give me all your money. That's not the question that they're asking because any sensible person would say, if if they knew with certainty that they were going to die unless they gave up all their money, few people would say, now I'm gonna keep my money, shoot me dead. What the economists are really asking is that risk question. They're asking, how much are you willing to risk for a monetary benefit? So one way to think of it is if you have to pick between a couple jobs and you say one job, you're working in a factory and there's a chance that you might die because this equipment is very dangerous. And another job, you're sitting at a desk, you're sitting in a cubicle, maybe you're working from home, whatever. But the jobs are otherwise more or less identical, but one has a big risk of death involved in it. How much more would someone have to pay you to take that kind of riskier job? And some people would say, no, I wouldn't take that job no matter what. Give me my cubicle. Whereas other people might say, I would take the more money to do the riskier job. Economists make the case that that's based on some level of underlying preferences. A case that I make in the book is arguably that's based on those people's initial income and their poverty level to begin with. If you're really poor, you're more likely to take the job that has the risk of death But if you're fairly wealthy, you'll say, yeah, I don't need the extra 10 or 20 grand. I'll take the job sitting in the cubicle.
1: You know, I wonder, I know sailors on submarines get an extra little bump for being on a submarine. I wonder if you could do an economic, what's the economic background of the average submariner versus the average, you know, enlisted Navy person who's not on a submarine. I wonder if there's. I mean, the average submariner or the
0: submariner of Marvel Comics fame. <laughs> okay. We're, that's, we're ahead of our time. That movie hasn't come out yet. Ahead of our time? Reference. We're
1: ahead of our time? <laughs> I, I assume that there will
0: be a submariner movie within two years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this sounds like a good transition to doing some improv to illustrate or play off of or be completely uh, <laughs> tangential to
1: what we were just talking about. Yes, it certainly does. It certainly does. Now, I'm not, how, I'm not sure how much improv you've done.
2: I actually have done a little bit. I did. I was in an improv troupe for about four years, and so I've done a little bit, but I haven't done it in a long over a decade. So I am very rusty, and I've never done it virtually, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. The style of play that we've been working with Mark and we've been doing is more scenic than it is gamey, if that means anything to anyone out in the world, in the greater world, and that's kind of it. We're going to keep this thing fairly slice of life, yet be interesting, fun, cool characters Within that slice of life, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Perfect. I was just trying to think here. I'm not sure. I'm, I've got a little thing I was trying to think about, but should I start this first one? I'm going to start this first one here. I mean, I can start something off unless you are. You oh, please. <laughs> our, our guest. I would love that.
0: Having a non-improv specialist, <laughs> although saying a little bit and I was in one for four years. That's like as long as. It, it was a long time That's ago. a college length, you know.
1: <laughs> I think that's a so, pretty good. That's a pretty good time.
2: Yeah, go ahead and get us started. I'll see if I can sneak in my little lesson for the day as well. So, son, what's this I hear about you wanting to major in art history? I don't think your mother and I are, are going to be very happy with that. I, I don't think that's a, that's a good choice for your future. What's this I hear about that?
0: Yeah, the art historians, they don't get very much money. You should, you should think about something like uh, economics or uh, uh, exactly. I hear the, the philosophy is, is really good for pre-law.
1: Okay, all right let me say this firstly i love both of you i really really do i really love you with all my heart
2: we love you too son
0: well i we love you conditionally based on what you're about to say
1: well you're squares okay i'm sorry i gotta use a word you'll understand okay but um
0: how old do you think we are that we would use the word squares <laughs> you think that's
1: in our vocabulary I, you understand it i'm not 90 years old all right go ahead son all right because here's the thing okay the real world isn't about money. Money is an illusion.
2: All right? It doesn't exist. It's not real. Son, what do you think pays for the roof over your head? What pays for the, for the food on your plate?
1: Is the, is the roof real? Is the roof real? Is the roof actually real? That's my question to you. The roof
2: is very real. We just had it replaced three years ago. It was It cost a fortune. It was leaking. It, it damaged the pipes in the back. It was, it was not good. It, it took money to do that. And, and I just don't know what, what art history is going to get you in terms of a roof over your head.
1: It's going to give me happy. It's going to give me happy. It's going to give me meaning. It's going to give me purpose. It's going to give me uh, joie de vivre. It's going to give me what else is there after purpose and
2: happiness? What's left? How can you be happy when you're sitting on the street in a box? and you know lots about Monet and Picasso. I don't understand. You're, That'll keep me happy. You want to be on the street, in a box, drawing with whatever sharpies someone has thrown in your hat in front of you, your impressions of, of Picasso and Monet. That, that's your goal for life. That's what we're shooting for.
1: Yes, and, and please pass the peas.
0: Now, Dick, I think Billy might have a point. For him to be happy means that he'll be attractive, because unattractive people are, are very unhappy, and this was basically how I snagged you, is I did what would make me happy, and I became attractive enough, and therefore you bring in quite a bit of money to pay for the roof over our heads, and I pretty much
2: uh, don't
0: have to do anything.
2: Do you think that art history makes him really attractive? Is that, is that really your goal, son? Is your goal just to, to snag a, a, a wealthy, productive woman in your life, or man? I'm not going to judge on that front. But is that really your goal, to do that and just just live as, a, as a, a man of leisure? You know, what are goals, really?
1: It's a place where points are scored. You get a ball through a goal, you know? It's the ball that's going through the goal, okay? It's not the player.
0: I mean, the thing about these things, he doesn't necessarily have to have it as a specific conscious goal to attract a mate. But by acting according to his rational self-interest of being happy, it will have the effect Hopefully. I mean, the women are the ones and he is very straight. I found the
2: magazines in his room, just so you know. But, uh, you know, the, I don't know what kids they, they experiment in college these days.
1: They were photography magazines. Let me just be perfect. They were artful.
0: Mm hmm. Mm mm-hmm.
1: All right. All right. But they were they were photography magazines. OK, I just want to be clear.
0: They're very stained photography magazines, but I'm not judging. It's a normal to normal uh, thing for growing boys sorry i've reduced him to silence uh, I, I didn't mean to embarrass you billy I, I don't want to have this conversation what do you say to that so this was uh my way of of steering you back to uh talking about your future not wanting to talk about sex
1: well i i, I don't i don't want to talk about my future
2: what do you expect to do with your life? What would be, you get this degree in art history, what do you envision? Do you envision nothing? Is it, is it, a, is it a pool of nothingness? Do you want to do art? Do you want to do his, what, what is your goal?
1: I envision reaching across the table, grabbing a biscuit and putting it back on my
2: plate. And I don't think past that. I don't think. I will say, dear, these biscuits are delicious. They are fantastic.
0: The secret is extra gravy in the batter. You don't just put the gravy on the top. You put the gravy while you're baking it in the batter.
2: They are fantastic and they are fluffy. Mm.
1: Here's what I want to know. Father, what makes you happy? What makes, what makes father happy? <sighs> that's, I don't
0: think he, I, I think we don't want to share that stuff at the table, Billy. I mean, <laughs> it's a, that's personal bedroom stuff. I'm sorry that I, I intruded on your sexual domain, but <laughs> you know, you don't want to ask
2: your father that question. It's a deep personal question, what really makes, makes me happy. and what, But I think seeing you do something with your life that was meaningful would make me happy. And seeing you fulfill something that is a dream would make me happy. But I'm worried. I'm, I'm concerned because I'm, I, I don't know where you're headed in your life. I don't know where you're headed for your future. I, I want to be proud of you and I want to care about you. But I, I'm worried about where you're going to go next. That would make me happy.
1: I will engage in this conversation out of choice, not out of obligation. Universities need art history professors and museums need tour guides.
0: You think there are going to be museums left? Have you looked at the state of the world and, and people's flagging interest in going to cultural things? They can get anything they want on the web for free. There's not going to be any jobs for you in the museum world.
1: Then I can curate a web museum. I can create Content. That may, not,
2: that may be a new couplet for you to hear, content creator, but it's real. Explain, what is this content creator? You're going to film videos of your cats and, and put them on YouTube? How is that art in your art history world? How does that shape up against the, the greats? Is, is you making cat videos really the pinnacle of, of artistic expression?
1: I plan on
2: transitioning
1: from cat videos to cats making art videos is
2: a cat a better painter than monet i mean maybe than jackson pollock that's an unanswered that's an unanswered question so this is a research question you're trying to pursue is a cat objectively a better painter than
0: so it's not just it's not just the enjoyment of the art it is you're actually seeking after knowledge you're trying to this is a practical endeavor whether you admit it or not yes okay in fact seeking the happiness that you desire that is that is a good that you're trying to obtain. If you say, I'm doing art for art's sake, I appreciate this for you're using happiness in the same way that other people use money. It's just a different currency and one that can't be shared around in quite the same way. Though, as I said, you being happy will make you a more glowing. So it actually will share itself around. But you know, you might as well... Can you just do a little of
1: both? I've actually already been making my cat videos. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not quite ready to previewed them yet not quite ready to publish them yet but
0: you know dickie i think he he might be onto something that cat videos are very very popular now i I watch a
2: lot of cat videos myself i will say that and the little dog videos where they push the buttons and talk i watch those all the time i see a market for this son but do you really think that you need to study get a four-year degree at a university and we should be your mother and i should be paying all this money for you to get a degree if you have these videos already just go out and do it go out go out and succeed. Go out and do the thing you want to do. I, I don't see why studying all of these these old masters is going to teach your cat how to paint better. Oh, so I can leave school. Is that what I'm hearing? If you have a successful business plan, if that's your goal, if you have something that you think is marketable, like like your mother said, I watch many cat videos. I'm sure there's a good income to be had there.
1: Well, very well. Then after this semester, I'll withdraw the semester and uh, and my cat videos. If that's what will make you happy, son. If I leave the dorms, I'll have to be back here for a little bit of time. Until I, you know, start publishing the cat videos, that's kind of a
0: problem. I mean, we've been engaging in a lot of the sort of content creation since you left, and uh,
1: it's a uh,
2: yeah, a, di- a different kind of content creation. Gross, but yes,
1: gross. Both of you, okay? That's disgusting. Okay,
2: I'm the one with the, I'm the
1: one with the problem. I'm really, I'm the one.
0: We have the money to finish you through the four years. And I think it'll greatly reduce your prospects, your attractiveness, even if you're a happy person, if you are a college dropout. That is a terrible, I think they actually tattoo the letter D on your forehead when you drop out. It's not a good thing I have look. heard that. I don't think that's true. I don't really don't The letter E? Why E? D. D, D, dropout. Oh. Okay, I mean, okay. unless you're, you know, extra dropout. I mean, I don't know what that means, but. Yeah, just drop out with you're, extreme prejudice. You're the one who's exploring the, the bounds of the edges of knowledge with your CAD drawing videos. So
1: you okay, can figure well, it out. Uh, I will draw, didn't say drop out, withdraw temporarily to pursue my dreams and passions that are mine. All right. He, this is going to occupy him for about a week and then he'll be back there. That's I, I wouldn't worry about this thinking. I'll pretend I didn't hear that.
0: And scene. We'll stop
1: right there. We'll stop right there. <laughs>
0: So at least a lot of, uh, concepts going back and forth about the currency of valuation. I'm not sure it amounted to anything, but
2: you know, we were pointing out sort of some of the absurdities. What people value in life, what makes a life worth living. Mm -hmm. So would you say that in general,
1: what would be some of the matrices, the aspects of life that mainstream economics is not valuing enough?
2: That's a great question. I think mainstream economics is trying to very clearly value this very narrow perspective of your own preferences, of an individual or a group's preferences around life. Do you value that? And in some fields, how much money are you making? Are you contributing to society in a meaningful way? Are you creating economic value for society? Some of the measurements that are used for value of statistical life look at how much money will you make over the rest of your life? Are you providing some real value and providing other people happiness in the world versus people that are sitting around and not providing value? It's once again, one of the reasons that senior discount is there, if people are retired and they're not providing value back into the economy, what use are they? What good are they in some sense? I
1: just recently saw in the news that in New York City, there has been some revelations that some of the more extreme schools in the Jewish sect, some of the Hasidic schools aren't training children how to do math or reading. This is really all in the news. And there are people that are complaining that, well, how are these people ever going to contribute to society? And again, define contribute, I think is what the other side is saying. Are we just kind of out of loggerheads? Is this just like, well, <laughs> we define contribute differently. So next problem. Or do we need to drill? Is this something to drill into? I mean, is there at the end of the day, I'm sorry, but contribute to society means X, Y, and Z.
2: This is an interesting thing, and this is something I do go back and forth on with the book of what's the underlying value that we're trying to get to. And economists go one level too shallow. They go down to just the economic benefit that someone provides in the world. How much money are they making? How much money are they willing to spend to save a life for these things? And I think philosophy helps us dig down one level deeper to that question of happiness or utility. How much happiness are you contributing to society? How happy are you with your choices? How valuable is your life in that sense? And economists make a little bit of lip service to utility and say that, oh, this willingness to pay is broadly based on utility, but they don't look at that deeper concept. And so they get stuck on the dollar value amount. The, how much money you're contributing to society. And I think the thing that doesn't get pulled out of that is saying, how happy are people? The person that's creating art in some way is making people happy, even if people aren't paying a particular amount for that art. If they're scrolling through cat videos, cat videos make me <laughs> happy for sure. Yeah. But I'm not paying that. They're, they're creating little traditional value in an economy. And so I think there's a missing piece between that And normalizing back to not saying we're going to measure this in dollar amounts, but saying we're going to measure it in happiness and giving people that don't have money or don't make money, putting them on the same footing with people that make a lot of money or are contributing in that more traditional sense.
1: I think the four-day work week, it's a discussion I'm seeing more and more. Would that be something that values well, I guess it's funny because when I hear discussions of the four-day work week, it's all always like, well, actually, they're more people productive. People work harder, yes. <laughs> they're working yes. harder. You, that's uh, the way you got to sell anything to, that yeah, would actually it, make people happier. Even if it is about happiness, it kind of gets weaseled back into uh, monetary, are they contributing to the economy?
2: Exactly. And this is one of the things that I, I try to dig in with the book is it's not necessarily about one particular policy proposal or another. It's what are we measuring this policy proposal against? Are we just measuring it in terms of economic productivity, or are we really trying to capture happiness or some some real underlying value? And the case I make isn't for a four day work week or a particular policy. It's to say that the thing that we should be considering isn't the pitch of, oh, this will make you more productive. It's, oh, this will make you happier because you'll have three days to relax and spend time with your family, whatever that is, is what we should be measuring. We shouldn't be having all these conversations and caring as much about economic productivity as the underlying value that we as a society care about.
0: Well, and is there even a more fundamental assumption about ethics that happiness is inherently interpersonal? right? That if you're a fulfilled artist, I think you just described that is because, well, I don't know if it's because, there's certainly some relationship to you showing the art to other people. You are, you're making everybody else's life a little bit brighter. Maybe they don't love your art so much that it is life-changing, <laughs> but even just putting out a little fairly Fred Bassett level, you know, not very funny webcomic, <laughs> but if it gives some people a chuckle, then that would add up, right? The little bit of happiness as opposed to Actually, I don't know, Aristotle's take on happiness is, it is contemplation. It is, there's a interpersonal relationship but just because we are social beings and it makes us happy to talk to other people, but it's not about making them happy by talking to them. It is, you know, happiness is
1: irreducibly individual. Well, I think the Fred Bassett comic is right at the Mendoza line. of of utility. That was the one (laughs) that as
0: I'm old enough that I would read as a child because I liked the art, but it was never funny. Pretty much anything on the funny pages, the funny in quotes pages, that's, they're legally required to put it in quotes now when they put it, uh, would work. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
2: Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town.
0: My hands are full all day, every day. I love it.
2: Asante, as your TurboTax
0: expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your
2: maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert. Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. I think people gain a benefit not just from whether that's reading a comic or watching a cat video or that, but also the act of creation in some way is something that people get a happiness benefit from and a boost from that in not just because they created something, but because they connected with other people out there in the world and made them happy and, and had that built that connection in some way. That can be a, a primary concept that we, that we care about more.
1: Do you think a politician could just be like, well, I'm a proponent of the four day work week because it's, it's awesome. That would rock. I and mean, that's just <laughs> just where it's at you know and or would people like well that doesn't count or them saying it doesn't count is that the problem are they everyone secretly thinking oh that would rock but i shouldn't say that should we all agree that 4 day work week would would rock pretty hard is the problem that we don't allow ourselves to say that would be awesome so in other words
0: economics would be distorted because people's preferences are not actually expressed is that
2: or people's preferences are based on what they think they should say as opposed to what they really Want or really desire out there in the world. I, th- I think there is some kind of, I don't know, social pressure bias probably out there on some of these things. If people are advocating for policies because they think that's the way society should function as opposed to what they personally would want for themselves. And so when you do these preference studies, there maybe is a question of what policies do you care about? Would you like to have every Friday off? I think most people would say yes. When you ask them, should everyone else get Friday off? Then I think you can get some of that us versus them. Oh, those people shouldn't have Friday off, but I should get it.
1: Yeah. They need to serve me my brunch. And how
0: are we going to compete with the Japanese, the Chinese? They aren't taking, they aren't taking even weekends. So how could we possibly compete? It's, you know, even if we want to improve things for our own people, for the we, there's some feeling about international competition that in, you know, either you dominate or you die.
2: And I think there's a question of where should we be measuring ourselves against other countries around the world? Should we be measuring ourselves in terms of dollars and cents in terms of the biggest GDP in the world? Or should we be measuring ourselves in terms of a happiness index or something that looks at the health of the population or the education of the population or things that people kind of say they desire, they want, or do we just care about being the biggest with the most amount of money? And I think the economists want to have the conversation of money is all that matters. Money is the driving force here. Money can get you all those other things. And I think there's at least a strain in philosophy that says, maybe that's not the best measure of this. Maybe that's not the best way to measure what we care about. Martha Nussbaum and Amartya Sen have done some work both on the kind of the philosophy and economic side of some of these questions around how should we be measuring growth or development? And they make the case that the way we should be considering this isn't necessarily in terms of just a nice GDP number. Once you get to a certain GDP, you're considered a middle income or a high income country. But in terms of capabilities to do the things that you want, they take the capabilities approach of saying it matters in terms of capabilities to sure buy the things that you want, be able to buy food, be able to buy shelter for yourself but also capabilities to do things as complicated as play or enjoy or have creative expression or have good health and education, and that those human capabilities to do things should be the driving concept, not just strictly the money, because the money doesn't always give us the capability to do those things. And in fact, it can constrain us more because we're working more and more and not able to access those things that that would make us happy.
1: I'm not sure if this is a question or a comment, but I'm I'm kind of thinking about, let's say, early industrial revolution era for Western Europe or the early United States, how you're either a farmer, and you know many 40, 50% of people were farmers, (laughs) or you worked at a factory, or you a trade or a shop or something. And I feel like all those jobs are very easy to quantify. You threshed that much wheat, you built this much product, you drove a train from here to here. But I think on our modern age, when work is becoming so nebulous, you know, content creator, uh, <laughs> you know, the huge overhead of just office employees who do, well, I just data entry, you know, how do you quantify, it's getting more difficult to quantify these things, I guess. Could you say that's opening the door to maybe there's other things to look at since it's just getting so hard to count work?
2: The shift from kind of being whether it 's an agriculture or eventually a manufacturing focused economy to being a service economy is a big part of that i mean one of one of the challenges in cost benefit analysis is it 's very easy for us to quantify or to to capture in a dollar value. You built a building, it cost this much it put this much output you built a road it cost this much those are, those are things that are easy to quantify, but something like you. Distributed a vaccine and saved this many lives. That's hard to quantify, like, h- how many people's lives were saved in a just a dollar value or a number. And so, as services get out there, you performed an improv show and made <laughs> 200 people laugh, right? Like, h- how do I quantify that in terms of dollars and cents? The economists can't.
1: Priceless. It's priceless. I'll <laughs> tell you that right now.
2: But if our goal is happiness, I think that things like the arts and things in in the the performing arts spaces are being undervalued in our current economic frameworks because we're caring about those products and not the service of making 200 people in a room happy. Sure.
1: I have an idea for the beginning of a scene. (laughs) It is not too overdetermined. I had a little lesson in mind, but I can send it to you, Mark, or we can... Would it affect the scene? I don't know. (laughs) Why you
0: mess mess message? Send me a message. I'll send you a message. Take, take the minute. Take a second.
1: We edit these, so it's fine. Over the course of the show, I usually have a lesson as well, and my, my sometimes the lessons actually line up pretty well. And I thought this one would, but it's marching towards irrelevance at a at a <laughs> blistering pace at double time. So uh, <laughs> it may have to get dropped here, and we can discuss it. You know, no at, at the end of the at the end of the game here. Does that make any sense, Mark?
0: Yeah. So look, I just. I'm still getting used to this body. I've only been in it for three days. And I know that you guys have not have been in it a little yours a little longer. And I'm just feeling like we should take our time that we don't need to move ahead with the whole invasion plan and taking over everybody. That we gotta really research these people before we make any definite moves beyond just these three vessels that we're currently driving.
1: Okay. No. (laughs) I'm gonna shoot that down real quick. I think as a bacterium, all I want to do is make more of me and get in more of them. Full stop. And doesn't it, does it matter who we infect? I mean, I mean, but when is enough?
2: Have you fully explored the body that you're, you're in right now? But what about the next body and the next body? There's, there's so many possibilities out there. There could be a more interesting body out there that we haven't tried yet. I just,
0: I feel like there are so many aspects. To this body that I have not, you know, organs that I haven't even visited. Well, that's on
1: you. That's on you, okay? I mean, here's what I know. This small intestine is warm and cozy, and there's a tube for the food
2: and a tube for the poop, all right? And that's, I don't need to know anymore. Isn't that a summary of life? A tube for the food and a tube for the poop. That's what I need out of my life. That's perfect. I just,
0: I think the communication system that we've set up, you know, so that we could have, we could tell each other about these three different bodies. I know that was supposed to give us a sampling, but it's just not enough of a sampling. And I don't want to strain it and create more of us. Cause like we got a special thing going, you know, that we can make our people do what we want and go to the movies together and stuff. And once we get, so there are thousands of us inhabiting thousands of bodies, like it's just not going to be any, it's not going to be intimate. It's not going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be as fun.
1: Are you suggesting that we mind control our hosts to do oh you haven't been doing that take us to the movies you haven't been doing that? I don't care I just, to saw, do Bar- it. I just saw barbarian. I
0: wouldn't
2: have got have you seen that flick that is un- unbelievable. I admit I have done a little bit of mind control, just just a small amount though move, moving the body around but but you could do more mind control in more bodies you could have you could have a whole party all by yourself with a bunch of bodies It's just that one
0: you know I can't spread myself literally to multiple bodies i would have to divide mm-hmm. and then like yeah there's mm-hmm. there's sort of me but they're sort of not me and like it's just like one of these multiplicity situations that's another uh, movie that i got my uh, host to watch where the, the you know each copy gets worse and worse and worse until you know by the time you get a whole room full of people like some of them like
1: you don't even know anymore I think you're kind of denying your own reason for existence here, buddy. (laughs) I mean, this is why we were put on earth to infect people
2: and make more of us. Okay. And who knows, maybe you could infect a director for a movie and you could see it getting made. You don't have just have to go to movies. You could go out and infect you. You can, it doesn't have to be all the people in the world. Just find the specific people to infect those that have, have real value.
0: Okay. So personal ad, maybe. So my current host you know, looking for director to be sex partners with, and probably not just friends, but like they got to have somehow you're looking to share a cupcake with a film director. I, I don't know. I will have to think about that exact ad copy.
1: Yeah. But I think you, <laughs> you have to place an ad, just go on a, on a Hollywood tour or something and just, you know, get inside some big room and just make your person vomit and go to town. There's so many choices
2: in there.
0: All right. I'm beginning to see the possibilities. I, I still feel, I can't believe Bill, that you didn't understand that you could just make your host do stuff. Like, I understand why you just want to spread and spread and spread. If if all you thought you could do is sit in that freaking intestine, there's a whole world
1: out there you could be witnessing. There's podcasts. Do you even know about that? I don't care to know, okay? I'm boring. Sorry. I just want to be in my intestine with my model train set. That's all I care about. My metaphorical model train set,
2: okay? I don't actually have a... I refer to the food going through the intestine often as a model train set, too, Bill. I understand. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> but what I just, I just, I mean, maybe
1: my happiness is different than your happiness, okay? And my happiness is normal and yours is weird. Okay, but I'm, that's a judgment. <laughs> I'd accept that judgment as a judgment, but it's its a judgment. I'm still
0: thinking about the, you know, I, I've heard the uh, whole, Oh, my, look, there's a choo-choo train carrying the peas into your mouth. But then the choo-choo train continues. Yeah, they don't know that it continues. And so the kids could be like, oh, I got choo-choo train chewing down my, my belly. And then, you know, parents wouldn't have to buy their kids anything because they already have toys right there in the digestive process.
2: I do think as we expand to more people, we do need to work on branding in terms of us as a disease. And I think something around this this choo-choo train formulation could be, could be really effective as the choo choo train virus that you want to get it 's a we're a fun virus we're a virus that 's out there and and infecting people that that 's what you got choo choo trains going through your intestines i think I think people people could get in on you know the, those parents do those uh, chicken pox parties where they try to get kids infected i think I think if we have a strong enough brand, we can convince people that what they really want is something a little risky. What they really want is something that, that could be a, a you know a small chance of death, but but risky can be fun, y'all. That I think you just got. We're an infectious disease, okay? We we, we not any form of
1: advertising is bad. It's, you know, I just we just need to be making our people sneeze and vomit and have diarrhea in public, and I think that's it's worked for thousands of years. All right, crowded train. The diarrhea thing works to transmit.
0: I would think people would would uh, start to feel that and they would run away so that they would
1: not be near other people on a pub on a crowded train, a crowded train or a bus. Okay, it aerosols. All right, <laughs> let's stick with the classics. Okay,
0: see, I just I think Mr. C is right there. That part of the marketing thing is not just making it seem appealing to get the disease, but because you know I can make my hosts not just I don't have to just mind control them, but I give them the insight. That I can show them, you know, that the train continues, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that's just merely one thing. People don't know about their stomachs, about their intestines. And by sort of uh, melding with them mindfully, by rising above your animal urges, Bill, to just sit in the intestine all, all day and get involved with the person's mind and soul. This could really be a mutually beneficial thing. This is not just us. I'm not a
2: parasite maybe being exclusive. Maybe we could we could brand ourselves as a luxury disease, just going for the, a disease only of the, the rich and famous. If, if you go and infect some, some famous director, we can mind control them to have this sense of maybe this is something that they want. Look at these cool powers they have. They can see the food going through their intestine. That branding picture, this is only something for the wealthy. This is only something for the rich. Could be an angle we could take with it. I, I just, Bill, we can't be stuck in the past. I think
1: you're just dreamers and i think you're denying your nature and i think my daddy was a was a stomach bug his daddy was a stomach bug his daddy's daddy was a stomach bug and i mean you know mom daddy were asexual you know you know what i'm saying his daddy's daddy's daddy was a stomach bug okay and that's going back 3 weeks okay that's a long time for us and i i just think Hey, put it in your dream journal, okay? <laughs> but we're talking about life right now. You don't see some of the possibilities.
0: You know, you're right, I don't. The the world's great religions. I've heard about this like Christianity started as a stomach bug. Mhm.
2: Mhm. Exactly.
0: Hinduism started as a foot fungus. Mhm.
2: Mhm. Mhm. And exactly.
0: eventually they they branded up and they became, you know, I mean, it, it's too bad if you, had, you don't want the initial strain to die off and it just, you know, to continue merely in a mimic context. I know some people think that would be the, the way for us to attain a sort of immortality, but that's not us. That's some sort of reflection, some ideation. We got to keep ourselves biologically in the mix. Absolutely.
2: The only things you hear about that are still diseases are the ones that haven't branded up, that haven't upscaled themselves. They're all diseases out there. We're the ones that are still stuck in the past. We have a chance here with this this whole mind control thing to be able to to push people beyond their limits and and do something and and become one of the cool memefied diseases. We have a chance, Bill. It's a ch- it's an opportunity of a of a very short
1: lifetime. Okay, fine. I happen to be in the body of the UN Secretary General, and. Uh,
2: you now exactly. you tell us i <laughs> was even aware of this. No wonder you haven't had time to go to movies
1: and- <laughs> Yeah. been very, very busy, flying all over the world. Yeah. Sneezing on everyone. All right. That was uh that was very high concept.
0: Is that we you're going to uh, Mark Mark loves the high concept. <laughs> I was thinking alien invasion, but I like what you did better. And then uh <laughs> well, the way we were talking about it, that you know, I read, now I'm forgetting, it's not Dawkins, it's Dennett's book on religion as a mimetic uh, disease, basically. So that was it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that ideas catch on in the way diseases, you know, because they're appealing. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, so if you have a religion that fiercely defends itself and, and punishes the heretics, that's the kind that will strain virul- virulently, whereas a, uh, you know, live and that live, every, like that's not the kind of thing that will be passed on necessarily. Okay, interesting. Okay. And I know that's relevant to economics somehow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One of the things that I try to challenge in the book is a sort of level of groupthink that does exist in economics, a sort of kind of there are certain principles that everyone that takes economics has to sign on to and accept that, like, we're going to count things in terms of money. We're going to use these basic rules. And you build this beautiful structure of economics that is really useful for businesses assessing things and for public policy assessing things and all of that. But there are these fundamental tenets that if we start tinkering with, the whole structure starts coming down. And one of those tenets is thinking about things in terms of money, dollars, and cents. So one of the things the book is challenging a bit is saying that there is a bit of groupthink within economists. And you look at, you go to any international development institution, it's most of the professionals there are going to be economists. They're not going to be even from other disciplines, even from political science doesn't get people, let alone philosophy. And so I do think there's a sense of this kind of group think about some of these basic ideas that have been transmitted through universities and things Of we're going to assume these principles of economics, that philosophy as a discipline that can question and poke and ask ethical questions has the chance to to poke at a little bit. So that, that would be, if I'm going to draw a connection to memefied ideas, that, that would be where I'd try to plug it in.
1: Is there a, a success story floating around out there or a, a person who you think is doing it right or a, a group that you feel, and again, I, don't, I know you want to, maintain some anonymity here but for some reason humility is what's kind of came to my mind as you were saying that as the antidote to groupthink but
2: when i think of economists that are trying to think outside the box the folks i referenced earlier Amartya Sen, and who's worked with martha nussbaum who comes from the philosophy side to talk and think about these things i think that they're doing a lot of these things right and i wish economists push more in that direction of saying focusing on the thing that we should be measuring is human capability as opposed to, or, or happiness or pleasure, something that's not just dollars in a sense, that's not just money. Because I think that's a much more inclusive way to think about it and a much more accurate way to the diversity of human experience.
0: Perfect. Outstanding. I guess the, the problem that still a lot of economics is dominated by these uh, conservative Austrian economists, and they don't realize that the Chicago School of Austrian Economics it's, it originated in tetanus. Tetanus. That, that's how it
1: started. Tetanus, the disease, lockjaw? Yes, yes. lockjaw. Wow. How it, locked. They're completely locked, aren't they? Stiff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unmo- wow. You didn't even mean that, did you, Mark? <laughs> I, improv <laughs> one, improv one in that moment.
0: <laughs> People feel that there's, there are certain things in philosophy, certain tenets you have to sign on to, to talk philosophy. And one of them is that you don't just dissolve into nonsense but you know there are many uh good philosophers like nietzsche who have said it's perfectly fine it, it becomes a uh a rorschach for you know you to in- impose your own ideas when uh somebody is stating something in a in a riddle in a conundrum in a limerick
1: well my improv lesson did not get much chance to shine and that's fine it was my fault do you even want to tell us what it is or do you want to save it i can say i'll say real <laughs> real quickly it's this idea of recalcitrance And this idea that what I said to Mark is, I want you to start recalcitrant, but then let it fade. And I was going to ask Mark if he noticed any difference in his play, if he noticed a change or the scene changing as he allowed himself to be reachable.
0: I did have that in mind because you chatted it at me, but only for about three lines where (laughs) I was expressing some reluctance. And then I was like, you know, okay, we can go viral per the initial mission parameters, but... Let's do it in a different way. And then you became the recalcitrant one
1: that, you know, I could see you doing the one, the lesson. So I figured it was covered. The idea was that we, you can be a recalcitrant character. You can't really be a recalcitrant actor. And that if you're unmoved by what's going on around you, improv can get very oddly difficult for everyone around you
2: because <laughs> mm-hmm. you keep going over the same things and no one feels
1: uh, well just no one's nothing's having an effect you may as well be in your own rooms shouting at walls you know there's no cause and effect there's no pinch ouch and i'm sure maybe perhaps you feel that way sometimes with talking with economics economists. <laughs> Who refused
2: sometimes, to... sometimes, sometimes there's, a, there, there's a, definitely a sense of a sense of recalcitrance around some of that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think having that play and being willing to go back and forth and, and try to learn from other disciplines. And I mean, I mean, what is y'all's podcast? But something that's cross disciplinary in a big way and, and crossing over to different spaces. So,
0: what? Now that you've done this with us, what came up from a decade ago depths in terms of improv <laughs> lessons or things that you were trying to watch out for or in regulating your own what you were going to say next.
2: I mean, it was a lot of fun. I haven't done improv in a long time, and I always enjoyed it. It was was lots of fun to engage with those things. Things that I always remembered are with the first scene that I did, something that I thought of that I wanted to lead off with was that relationships can be really important. And starting with a strong, emotionally charged relationship of something of a family, it feels important. And I feel it can set and, and make the scene feel more important. But also, I think there's connections to that piece within philosophy of what we were talking about around happiness being something that's relational and being something that you can, can share and build together and kind of that importance of relationships, not only in building a scene and telling a story, but in the way that we interact with the world and the way we experience the world of having, b- building happiness through others. So there's my, I don't know, little improv tidbit of something <laughs> that, that, that came yep. back to me. I
1: think that's outstanding.
0: Well, I incessantly have, you know, if I try to do something high concept, then I start writing a little sci-fi short story in my head. So I was like, (laughs) wait, how are they communicating? They're not in the same stomach. I've already said we have different hosts. (laughs) We We can't be in the same intestine. So somehow we've evolved the communications network. Uh, But then how do I get in other bodies? Well, I have to mitose or, you know, how... So I got very carried away and, you know, and hopefully trying to get the group to contribute to this world building, but it all goes so fast that it's, it's hard to, you know, feel like I'm actually doing, you know, that I'm not just becoming a little solipsistic in.
2: It's hard to have that balance of setting something up. So there's enough of a premise that people can understand the world that you're building, but also enough of an openness that they can still make choices in that world to help you build it together.
0: I mean, you notice in in the last House of the Dragon, where they just like talked about the sewage spoilers, spoilers. They, 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 they got really into the mechanics of how the <laughs> the waste products are taken out of King's Landing, and how you know the, <laughs> uh, only a very great franchise. Actually, maybe Star Wars is getting to that point with with uh, Andor or whatever. Of like, <laughs> wait, what? Tell me more about the the job benefits that the stormtroopers
1: get. Yeah, tell me. I
0: need to get into the. The logistics here. Every, no, the, nobody is a faceless
1: drone. There's a ton online about the Harry Potter world, and it's like, well, how do they stay hidden? What do, where does their poop go? You know, what you know, how, mm-hmm. do, do they use do wizards use even use the bathroom?
0: Every time they so they cast a spell, they're emitting dangerous gases that are
1: affecting the Muggle world. I mean, they have bathrooms because I mean, there's like some of the books take place in restrooms. Are there plumbers in their world or tradesmen in the, in the wizard
2: world? Do they just like erase the memory of the tradesmen when they come in? They have like a, a plumbing company. <laughs> no one knows what they're doing, but they just know they go and show up and be plumbers. They learn about the wizarding world and forget it every day. Yeah, no. When you get too deep into these things, there's so many questions that arise.
0: And maybe this is the problem with uh, philosophers or anybody who's not an economist approaching what the economist does because the economist is doing what they do. For specific public policy reasons mm-hmm. and getting too picky about the f- philosophy and like, you haven't really captured how people compute their own happiness. How pe- like, no, it's a simplified model. We're dealing with <laughs> masses of people. People on an individual level are going to be completely unpredictable or very largely unpredictable. It's only when you aggregate them and you shave off the edges that you can get any sort of predictive power of, you know, how is there going to be a revolution next year? Is democracy actually breaking down who's going to buy the new latest thing, that's the pretense is that that is useful to simplify.
2: There's definitely a case made in the book that I I, I try to walk a line a little bit in between economics and philosophy, because I give the economists a bad time for not caring about the, the ethics and the morality of it. But I give the philosophers a bad time about not caring about some of those details to a certain degree. Philosophers don't have to deal with the nitty gritty of how are we, okay, how are we really, no, really, how are we going to implement this thing in a real context where? it's a job and someone expects you to actually come out with a number or an answer or a clear response. And a lot of philosophy's reaction of kind of throwing economics the baby out with the bathwater, we can just get rid of this and it isn't going to harm anything. And I think economists have a very valid point of saying that there are real reasons that we need to make decisions about where to put a hospital, where to put a park, what population should we vaccinate first, there are reasons we need to make those choices and there are reasons we want to make them based on data. Philosophers can and should disagree about maybe how we're constructing that data, but the idea of saying, making the perfect the enemy of the good, of putting that perfect idealized, we have to get it exactly right, above, we just have to be able to do it, basically, I think I think can be a challenge and can be where philosophy can learn a little bit from economics of how, how it can interact in the real world.
1: Well, normally we end these things with a vote as to did our guest feel that improv won or that philosophy won, but I'm you know, I struck out swinging and just fell down.
0: <laughs> I thought this was one of the best philosophy conversations we've had on this show.
1: <laughs> struck out swinging, fell down through the bat and injured my, now I'm on the IR with a broken pinky or something, just like a collision of embarrassments. Now I think there's actually some stuff in there and maybe.
0: No, there was, the, the improv was good. However, that's two votes for philosophy. Mr. C, <laughs> do you want do you want to?
2: challenge that? or, or... Uh, Sure. I'll even challenge and vote for improv for a nonsensical reason, which is that, like I said, I, I did improv a long time ago, but I still know and keep in touch with people that, that continue to do that and continue to do performance art. And I know with the pandemic and everything, it has been hard for people that are in that world and in the world of doing performance in any way. So I'll, I'll give improv a pity vote, not, not for winning this, but because I love people in the performance arts and I know it's been a it's been a rough couple of years for for people existing in that space well
1: thank you thank you very much <laughs> all right so two, two-thirds of a point for
0: philosophy <laughs> one-third for improv thank you so much for joining us this was fun indeed indeed I have enjoyed learning from from y'all and I've enjoyed learning from you Mark and Mr. C <laughs>
2: it's been great to to join thanks for thanks for having me there's been a lot of fun and, and see Hope you
0: enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post game segments, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com/support. Thanks.